If you have your Bibles with you this morning, again, we're looking at Psalm 23. I know this is a very familiar psalm, very familiar Bible verse, so undoubtedly heard many sermons from it, Um, so it should be fresh on your mind. Again, Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. Hear now the words of the one and only living and true God. Psalm 23, a psalm of David. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely, goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. This is God's word. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for the truths of your word. Thank you for your scriptures that are, they are breathed out by you, O Lord. Now as we hear your word proclaimed, give us eyes to see, give us ears to hear, and hearts to humbly obey and submit to your word. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Again, I'm sure many of you have read through this psalm and heard uh, many sermons from it, but I'm wondering if you've ever uh, looked at the context of Psalm 23 and the psalm that comes right before it, uh, this lament from David from Psalm 22 when he says, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And we know that Christ Jesus himself upon the cross and dying for our sins and suffering in ways that are not imaginable to us cried out this very cry to his father. On the side of the Psalms in Psalm 23, there are no green pastures. There's only evil. There's only the valley of the shadow of death. Yet on the other side, on Psalm 23, we see redemption from the good shepherd who can then lead us to still waters, who can grant us eternal life. As one commentator says, he says, we must by experience know the value of the blood shedding and see the sword awakened against the shepherd before we shall be able to truly know the sweetness of the good shepherd. Psalm 22 in Christ's suffering leads us to Psalm 23 and his exaltation, his perfect communion that he has with us. 
Now, I've talked with uh, a couple of you before uh, in the past few weeks, getting to know all of you. And one of the things that has been brought up is uh, when we lived in Tennessee, we owned a small uh, little plot of land that we called our miniature farm. Uh, it wasn't a lot of land, but it was enough to have cows and goats and some chickens. And so when we had bought this piece of property, there was no fencing at all to, uh, for us to be able to buy cows or buy goats. And so we spent uh, about two weekends uh, drilling, uh, or digging rather, we didn't have any machine equipment, uh, digging giant fence posts to hold in the uh, main anchors of the fence. Uh, we drove in all the stakes into the ground so that we could set up the cattle fence. And so over the course of two weekends, we finally kind of finished this long uh, enclosure where we could start keeping our farm animals. And so it began with uh, two miniature cows, uh, aptly named uh, Tulip and John Calvin. Um, as Reformed people, that's obviously the, the most sense that we can make of it. Uh, but we also bought some goats in this process as well. They were miniature goats. Now, I can't speak of sheep. Uh, we never owned any sheep. Uh, but if you know anything about goats, uh, they can figure out how to get out of anything. If you were to imprison them uh, in a maximum security prison, they would find a way to escape. And so we spent all this time working towards building this enclosure so that the goats would not escape. And we would be gone at work or running errands. Our neighbors would tell us that the goats were running around in the middle of the street, playing chicken with cars. Uh, or uh, one case, they came up to our doorbell, and our doorbell camera told us we had a visitor, and it was our goats. And so we can obviously laugh and find a lot of humor uh, with this, but how often do we, as sheep, wander astray from the very pasture that Christ has built and fortified for us? In our own sinful nature, we often see the green grass that is here in our pasture and say, I want that on the other side. The, the other side is better. Even though we have this enclosure to keep us safe and protected, we often find something else, something worldly to pursue after. And we as Christ's sheep are often apt to go astray, to lead ourselves away from our Lord and Savior and seek those things, those lusts of the flesh, lusts of the eyes, those things that would kill us and ensnare us apart from Christ our Lord. And so my admonition for you today, with that in mind, is to stay in the pasture. And we're going to look at three reasons why we as Christians must stay in the pasture. First, it is because the Good Shepherd provides. Second, the Good Shepherd protects. And thirdly, the Good Shepherd preserves. So let's look again first at the Good Shepherd Provides. Let's look again at verses 1 through 2. David says, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. 
He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. Verses 1 through 2, we have four verbs being used, four action words being used in the psalm. And the first is naturally, it's an implied verb, it's an implied action. It's that the Lord is something. He's what? He is my shepherd. The Lord God is a shepherd, not only to David, not only to Israel, but to his church as well. We see here in the text that the Lord is first and foremost the primary object of this entire psalm. David isn't boasting of himself, but he's declaring something that the Lord is my shepherd. And in this, we have the covenant language of the Lord being used. In some of your Bibles, most translators, anytime the covenantal name of the Lord is being used, the Lord will be capitalized L-O-R-D. And so David is employing this covenant name of the Lord. The Lord God who made a covenant with Abraham, a gracious covenant, who promises that I will be your God and you shall be my people. This, the Lord God, is our shepherd. The next verb I want you to focus on, the next action of the verse, is to want. David says, I shall not want. Now, we kind of lose this in our own uh, language, but in Hebrew, there's two different ways that they can negate something, that they can say something is not. It can either be temporal, meaning that it only occurs in this situation, or it's a permanent negation, meaning it will never happen again. For example, when the Lord says, you shall not murder, he means you shall not ever murder without exception. Here in this verse, David is saying, not that I will have no wants right now, But I will never have a want for all of my days because the Lord is my shepherd. And Jesus, as the good shepherd, through his very nature, his character, who he is, the love that he has for his sheep, promises that we will not have any wants. Paul tells us, reminds us towards the end of Philippians that God will supply us with all of our needs. Even think of the parable in Matthew 6 where Jesus says, do not be anxious, do not worry. The Father is the one who supplies us with all things. If God cares enough about birds to feed them, will he not also care about his children? Those who bear the image of God and provide for them as well. Jesus gives us another parable in Matthew 7. Essentially, he says, those of you who are fathers, if your child asks for something of sustenance, would you give them a serpent instead? 
Of course you wouldn't. If you, as sinful people, know how to give good gifts, does not our Heavenly Father also know how to give us all that we need? Those who rely upon the Good Shepherd shall never be lacking. And so why is this true? Well, the next verse tells us why this is true. The Lord is causing these things to happen. The actions that are occurring is what the Lord is doing on behalf of his people. When we are lost in our own sin and our own depravity, we're not seeking still waters. We're seeking poisoned waters that will kill us. In our own sin and depravity, we're not seeking green pastures, but we're seeking rubbish to eat upon. We need Christ as our shepherd to lead us to those areas. And the first thing David notes is that he, the good shepherd, the Lord, Jesus Christ, makes me lie down in green pastures. So the idea of this this pasture can mean something uh, like a grassy plain, like a field. Many of you have seen lush farmland. But it also has this idea of a place of settlement, a dwelling place. It's not nearly that the Lord brings us somewhere to eat and to feast and to be satisfied, but he brings us to comfort and to security. He encloses us by his love to keep us where we need to be. This place of rest that is listed in the Hebrew is very, very similar to the word for Noah, from the Old Testament, whose name means dove or rest. So it has this kind of dual use that God is leading us, like he brought Noah onto the ark to save him from the flood waters, to save him from judgment. So also does the Lord lead us to green pastures so that we will escape judgment as well. Are these green pastures not what we also pray in the Lord's Prayer to give us this day our daily bread? We ask God to give it to us by faith. We ask Him to lead us, not that we have everything we want for all of our days, but give us just enough that we may persevere today. And that when His, when his mercies renew the next morning, we pray yet again, Lord, sustain us. Preserve us. Help us. Not only that, but the Lord leads us beside the still waters. He not only provides us with daily bread, but he also refreshes us with the living waters. Jesus tells the Samaritan woman in John chapter 4, when, she, when he asks her for a drink, and she says, why should I be giving you a drink? And he says, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him. And he would have given you living water. Jesus Christ gives us living water. He restores us back from enmity with God. 
And so we could reorganize the psalm a little bit to read like this. The Lord is my shepherd. Verse 2, he makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. Back to verse 1, therefore I shall not want. Because he does these things for me, I have no wants. In Israel's time, a shepherd was not a uh, revered state uh, or job to have. It was a low position. And so also in the Middle East, the Bedouins who travel from desert plain to desert plain, uh, searching for food for their sheep, are like wandering hermits. Even though a shepherd was not uh, a notable, high-class job, it was nevertheless critical to Israel's culture. One commentator says that the shepherd, in terms of Israel, it was a royal metaphor. This low position that was virtually meaningless to the rest of Israel was used as a royal figure. And all good shepherds of the Bible led their people like Jesus leads his people. Abraham led his people from the Ur of Chaldeans into the promised land. Joseph led his people away from famine into Egypt. Moses led his people out of Egypt into wilderness and ultimately to the promised land. David himself led his people to the Lord during his kingship. And most importantly, Christ Jesus, our Lord, leads us, but he continues to do so, to eternal life and eternal waters. One aspect of this psalm that I think we miss is this idea of green pastures. Now, many of you who have driven through uh, the beautiful German countryside, it is lush, it is green, Everywhere is a green pasture. Anywhere you could lie down and be sustained. But this isn't the case in the Middle East, or specifically Israel. It's desertous. It's treacherous. There's rocks. There's sand. There aren't abundant green pastures everywhere. And so it took the shepherd a long journey to find food for the sheep let alone drinkable water or streams. The journey for the sheep was not often without turmoil, without struggle, without angst, without loss of life. And even the stubbornness of the sheep would often wander away from the shepherd, thinking that they themselves could find what they need. Yet we have Jesus Christ, our Lord, who knows the way. He has gone the way himself and can himself lead us to still waters. It isn't without persecution. It isn't without trouble. It isn't without strife or death or peril. Yet he leads us to abundance because the Lord is our shepherd. And so again, brothers and sisters, stay in the pasture the Good Shepherd provides. Secondly, the Good Shepherd protects. Look again at verses 3 through 4. 
David notes, he restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. David is reminding us of the very nature of our souls, that we first and foremost need to be restored. Think back to Psalm 51. He laments, surely you have brought me forth in iniquity. David recognizes that we are born in sin. We are born dead in our sins and trespasses. Yet our souls are being restored through Christ, through what he did for us. He who knew no sin became sin on our behalf. And in this passage as well, we see the three offices of Christ being brought forth, that Christ is a prophet, is a priest, and is a king. As a priest, Jesus restores us by dying on the cross, by offering himself once for all, a one-time sacrifice on behalf of his sheep. If you are not in Christ then the reverse is true. Your soul, your soul is not restored. You are under the wrath of God. But if you are in Christ, your soul is protected. It's held firmly by the Father's hand, and no one can snatch that away from His hand. And since we are restored, since our wills, our emotions, our thoughts are restored, the Good Shepherd can lead us. He can be like a prophet, revealing to us by his word and spirit the will of God for our salvation. Christ ministers to us. He leads us in righteousness by the power of the Holy Spirit. Christ as king is not only a pastor shepherd, but is a kingly shepherd as well. A good king, a good leader, leads from the front. They don't lead all the way from the back. Jesus is leading his sheep from the front. He went before his sheep. He went the paths for himself, and now he is leading us by himself from the front. And so why is David then so comforted as he is walking through this valley, this valley of shadow and of death? Why would he be enjoying this journey through this valley? Again, it is because the Lord, the Good Shepherd, is the one who leads us, who has endured those hardships on our behalf. The writer of Hebrews says this, that we don't have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but what? We have one who in every respect was tempted as we are, but what? He was without sin. We endure because the Lord has endured for us. He knows the way. He can pave the way for us. 
If you've ever spent any time uh, in the woods or in the forest, <clears throat> either hunting or walking, you've probably seen uh, wild game trails. or random little trails that lead through the woods. And they typically, if you're lost, you can, you can find these trails and they'll more often than not lead you to some type of water source because the animals need water to survive. Yet these paths, because small animals go through them, are often very thorny, full of briars, full of uh, twigs and roots and all sorts of things. Yet the more people travel through these paths, the more defined the path becomes. You can actually start to walk on it. But it takes someone who is willing to go first to pave the way, to push through the briars, to cut through them, to make the path easily travel, uh, easy for us to travel. Even a lot of hiking guides will take the lead and push through this brush so that people following them can lead through. So also our Lord has gone before us. He's gone through the wilderness where we do not have to travel through the wilderness. Again, in his active obedience, he perfectly obeyed the law of God. He paved the way for sinners. Because Adam's sin in the garden imputed into us death, disease, utter depravity. Christ, by his righteousness, imputes his benefits. He declares us righteous. He has paved the way. He has achieved the covenant of works on our behalf. And our good shepherd went to the cross where we ourselves do not need to die a death like his, but can be raised again and can be granted eternal life. Yet at the same time, the psalmist is not shy away from the fact that our endurance is not without cost. Yes, the Lord leads us through the power of his spirit into righteousness and sanctification, enjoying the fruits of the spirit, but so also the Lord as our discipliner uses the rod. Now, the rod can obviously mean something that a king has. It can represent a kingly function. But often shepherds would carry a rod, which served also as a, rock, a walking stick, uh, to keep the sheep in line. And so in order to stay in the pasture, to stay in the Lord's comfort, often the Lord has to use his rod to discipline us. Not for the sake of saying that we did something bad, but for the sake of growing us and conforming us to the image of his son. This term rod is used for the Lord as a king who stands above all and also as a shepherd, one who disciplines his sheep. Now you may be asking, where does the Lord even talk about disciplining his people? Hebrews 12 Verse 5 through 11 says this. I know it's a bit long, but it drives home the point. He says, And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved or corrected by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves, and chastises every son whom he receives. 
It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline, in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us, and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time, as it seemed best to them. But he that is God disciplines us for our good, that we may share his holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. But later, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. The Lord, as our shepherd with his rod, disciplines his sheep, not to drive us away, but to drive us closer to him. There's a poet, Henry Constable, writes on this passage in recognition of the fact that we, too, were lost sheep. He says this, I was a lost sheep once, dear Lord, behold. And in compassion, take me with thy hook. In one lost sheep, new found, thou dost rejoice. Then know thy sheep, which know his shepherd's voice. He's reminding us that Jesus, as the good shepherd, though we were lost, though we were enemies with God by his own love and compassion, he has for the people who were predestined to eternal life, gathers them into his sheepfold. And though we were once lost, he now rejoices because we were found again. And because of God's intervention in our own lives, he has removed our sheepishness, if you'll let me use that. He's removed our abandonment for him, our sinful desires, and given us a new heart that we may walk in accordance with godliness. And because of these truths alone, why would we ever want to leave these green pastures? So again, stay in the pasture. Jesus Christ is your good shepherd. He knows what you need. He provides, he protects, and finally, he preserves. Verses 5 through 6, you prepare a table for me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Despite this journey through the darkness that the sheep are being led through by their shepherd, the Lord preserves his grace and his love and sets a table amongst our enemies. What better illustration do we see of this, of victory over sin and death, than to be seated, to commune, to have fellowship with the Good Shepherd? Not only is this looking forward to eternal life, that great banquet feast where the church 
will sup together with Christ robed in his glory. But it also looks at the present situation we find ourselves in now. Feasting among our own enemies demonstrates that God preserves us through his sustenance. And where do we see this take place more but in the Lord's Supper? We partake of the Lord's Supper in the presence of our enemies. As the Catechism says, by faith we are made partakers of his body and blood with all of his benefits to our spiritual nourishment in glory and growth, excuse me, and in grace. Whenever we partake of the Lord's Supper, we're not doing so insulated away from the world. Walk out of the church and you see enemies of God around you. There are people who are actively persecuting the church, who are killing Christians. Yet the Lord leads us, he takes us, he places us amidst our enemies. And we still feast with him in the Lord's Supper. Again, the Lord provides not merely a drop of wine or a little piece of bread in a cup, but it overflows with his grace as a reminder of what he has done for us on the cross where his body was broken and his blood was spilled. And David says, Surely, or truly, goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. God is good to us by saving us from our sins. We did not deserve saving. We were not in a place to be saved. We were enemies with God. Yet out of his goodness, out of his love that he has for us, he saved us. And he didn't just save us, but he exercised mercy on our behalf through Jesus Christ. Because of what Christ has done for us on the cross, we have been given granted the privilege of adoption as sons into an eternal kingdom. And we will see this come to fruition, come to its fullness in the new heavens and the new earth. And so Christ is telling us that although we dwell and we live amongst enemies of God, this persecution shall never stand because the Lord's kingdom reigns forever. In warfare, one of the ways that conquering kings would show that they had uh, had victory over an enemy is they would take their former capital or their castle and they would raise a flag of their own indicating that they now own this territory. And not only that, but they would prepare this magnific magnificent feast for all of the soldiers, the people who have fought this war, to demonstrate that they are victorious over the enemies. And so also Christ Jesus, our King of kings, our Lord of lords, came to this earth, spiritual darkness, depravity, and planted his own flag of victory, that his children are conquerors and can feast amidst lions, amidst serpents, in this present world that we live in. We are given the privilege 
through the Lord's Supper of dining with Christ, through our spiritual union with him. As John Calvin says, we are taken up, we are ascended into heaven for a brief moment to partake with Christ. And not only does Jesus assure us that as the good shepherd, he lays down his life for his sheep, but he also assures us that no one will snatch us out of the Father's hand. In the Greek, the word for no one literally means no one. Not one person is able to ever snatch you out of the Father's hand. Paul even asks us in Romans 8, we studied that a few weeks ago now towards the end of the chapter, he asks all these hypothetical questions. He says, shall death, shall tribulation, shall nakedness, shall sword, shall famine, shall any of these things be able to separate you from the love of God which is in Christ? What does he say? By no means. May it never be. It's not possible to do so. Yet we need to remain in God's green pasture in order to not stray from him. And we must proclaim this message, this gospel, to bring other sheep into the fold as well. Now this isn't a works righteous sermon that you must do this in order to stay because we surely will stray. But it's a call if you're a Christian to seek repentance when you do stray. To check yourself, to make sure you are with Christ. When you feel tempted to sin, remind yourself that you are a child of God. Rely upon the spirit which is given to you to withstand the wiles of the devil. When you do not feel as though the Lord is with you, rely upon his promises in his word, in his scriptures, that he will never leave you nor forsake you. And when sin seems to overwhelm us, when it seems to burden us, rely upon Christ's promise that he will preserve you till the end. Do not worry, do not doubt, do not fear, do not be anxious, because the Lord is your shepherd. He provides, he protects, and he preserves. And with that, let us go to him in prayer. <clears throat> Most gracious Heavenly Father, we have like sheep gone astray, and you found it fit through Christ Jesus, our Lord, to save us, to redeem us, to declare us righteous, that our filthy garments that we once had on are now white as snow because of what Jesus Christ, our Lord, has done for us. Lord, remind us of these truths. Remind us that you, O oh Lord, are the one that leads and restores us, that causes us. <clears throat> Lord, remind us that you preserve us, that although we do indeed walk through many trials, through darkness, that you are still with us, that you are leading us continually. Lord, help us through your spirit to remember these truths and all this we pray in the mighty name of Christ Jesus, our Lord. Amen.